I think the Okere city is built on resilience, is our most important quality because this is a community that does not even deserve to exist based on the plethora of challenges that they've had to go through over decades. That's Ojok Okella. And the community he's talking about is not yet a city, but a small village in Uganda. In a little over two years, he's started to transform this community, adding a preschool, a store, an adult literacy program, and a shea butter co-op, a boxing club, and more. Welcome to People Making a Difference, a podcast about people who are, step-by-step, making a better world. I'm Dave Scott. Welcome, Ojok. Thank you very much. You've called this effort the O'Carry City Project. We're going to get into the remarkable details of all that, but let's back up for a moment and talk about your personal history, the, uh, the personal journey you've taken. What, what led you to that remote village of 4,000 people in northern Uganda, where your father once lived? So for over 30 years, uh, northern Uganda in general, but Okere village in particular, was embroiled in a civil conflict mounted by the Lord's Resistant Army rebels that made the place almost inaccessible. So when I returned five years ago, I just wanted to get connected uh, to my ancestors to have a sense of belonging as an African man but uh, the community was struggling to pick up from the legacies of conflict and of war and every social economic indicator of progress was you know, just wasn't bearable. So, for instance, the children were not going to school because there wasn't a primary school. So when I returned, I knew that I had to do something for the village. Ojok spoke to us from his home in Kampala, the capital of Uganda, where you can hear some construction going on in the background. But he is uniquely qualified to do something for his father's village. He has two master's degrees relating to rural development, including one from the London School of Economics. And he spent more than a decade working for various NGOs. But he started this project modestly. By, by building a small hut for himself on his father's land, and even a smaller adjacent hut or utility shed. But that's when the magic began. Yeah, so when we started this construction project, many children came around to the compound, play around on the grass around. So I asked the, you know, the parents why the children were not going to school. And then they were saying, we actually don't have a classroom. And I just said, but we have this small little hut. We could start using this as our classroom, you know. And they bought into the idea. And yes, and we made a deal with the community that to make the school run and function, I, I couldn't do this on my own. 
So we need to pull up our resources as a community to make this work. So yes, uh, the parents were excited. We started with eight children and in three months time we had over 120 children undergoing our early childhood development classes. And once the parents saw that the preschool was working for their children, then the community changes began to snowball from there. So when the children return home, they are speaking a better English than us. Sometimes they say things we don't understand. How about you also offer training opportunity for us? And that is how the need and the demand for our adult educational program arose. And again, when the parents found themselves coming you know, to, to see the progress of their children in the school, to, to undertake adult education uh, literacy program, they also noticed that there was something that was already bringing them together. So they noticed that they could actually use their association or this community of parents to start up village saving and loan association activities. So that's how our village banking project came. Whenever we come to do our adult classes, let's bring some money, let's put it together in a pot, and let's lend this money amongst uh, us. Let's save whatever we can. So that gave birth to uh, a huge project, which we now call Okere Village Bank, which provides not only financial literacy, but also access to credit to facilitate uh, rural development in the village. Wow. The Okeri City Project was off to an impressive start. In just a, a few months, the preschool, adult literacy, a village bank were up and running. But Ojak was an outsider. Yes, it, it was his father's ancestral village, but he'd been gone for decades, and Ojak hadn't grown up there. So he really was a stranger. I asked him how he gained the respect of the villagers and got people to listen to him. By listening to them. So I was very cautious of the fact that I was a stranger, a foreigner. I didn't know almost all of them, and neither of them knew me. And so to gain that trust, I knew I had to listen to them. I knew I had to respect their views and their perspectives. And thankfully for me, I had worked in the northern part of the country. I had worked with NGOs and this kind of organizations that do development work in the region. And I knew how they treated the local communities. So for me, it was a unique opportunity for me to do things very differently. And so when they noticed that I could involve them in all major decision-making processes, from the color of the uniform, to the badge of the uniform, to the motto of the school, to whatever food children could eat whenever they come to school, they thought that there was something very unique and different about how I approach things. So basically it was about respect, about involvement, and about learning. I, I put aside my 12 years development work experience and postgraduate training and became a student again in the community and understand from the community what is most important for them. And for me, it wasn't about imposing my 
expertise and experience and skills and knowledge. It was about being a recipient of these ideas from the community and using my skills and knowledge to reshape and refine them. I guess that is why it worked. Ojok helped refine ideas and worked with the villagers during many community meetings. And then the idea came to start a shea butter co-op or cooperative. This wasn't even my idea. I mean, I was thinking about all sorts of ideas, but during one of the meetings, a community member said, hey, how about we come together as a community and start up a cooperative society that adds value to this resource that we have? In this Ugandan village, women do most of the harvesting of the shea nuts and make oil out of the nuts for their own use. Then they sell the rest to middlemen at regional markets. So the co-op was seen as a possible path to pool resources and reach economies of scale. And they've already had some success. In July of 2020, during the pandemic lockdown, the village co-op marketed a shea butter hair product, mostly through social media. And by December, they had made a net profit of $2,000. That is a significant feat for a small business started up in the middle of a pandemic. And, and this has really raised optimism, a desire, and a belief by the community that if we can do little within a short time, what would we achieve if we continued with this, with vigor, with energy, in the long term? But the Shea Butter Co-op is, well, it's more than a business. It also helps the women build a more sustainable income and save the shea trees. In other words, Ajok says there's a direct correlation between the Shea Butter Co-op, more gender equity, and reducing deforestation. Yes, so women have traditionally been custodians of shea trees. The livelihoods and the societal infrastructure of the village is built around the shea trees. It's completely a women's affair. But when shea nuts have been turned into shea butter, which is a, a valued and economic product, then you see women's role beginning to shift to the periphery. The men are the ones who will sell the shea nuts to the middleman who come and offer money for the product. And so, in addition to that, cultural practices around the production of shea butter, the, the local knowledge, the intergenerational knowledge is passed on from, from the mother to the girl child and all these things. So this makes shea butter basically a, a very essential resource uh, when it comes to gender and the economic empowerment of women. And when we noticed this and we knew that, we had to make sure that women were not left out of the equation to the extent that they only participate in the collection of the nuts and not benefiting from the value that comes from the product. And we had to, again, make a very deliberate decision as a community to ensure that 80% of the membership of this cooperative society are women. So when it comes to deforestation, culturally, women are regarded as people who should 
protect the shea tree with their lives because they are the ones who collect the nuts from the tree. I, I know it's early days for the shea butter co-op, but you've actually stopped some trees from being cut down. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So they have seen uh, that there is value that can be got from the resource, but then they also have a completely different mindset. The community members have come to report other members of the community who cut down share trees, and there is a significant reduction, not only because community members see the trees as a resource, but also because there is now a reporting mechanism where somebody who is involved in such a heinous crime is brought to justice because, in fact, cutting down a shea tree is illegal according to relevant laws of the Republic of Uganda. Starting and especially sustaining a social enterprise like the one in Okeri City is difficult. Ojok has been paying for many of these programs out of his own pocket. I asked him if that financial burden was sustainable. Of course, the major obstacle has been around financial resources because we have to construct classroom blocks, we have to construct a medical facility, we need to construct housing and whatever. We need to construct and construct. And these have massive financial implications. In fact, Ojok has written more than 100 grant proposals seeking outside funding for the Okeri City project, but all but one have been rejected. Most donors, he told me, didn't believe that some crazy guy in the middle of nowhere was accomplishing all this. Maybe we will be able to prove them wrong in the future. We will keep building, putting one brick every day. I'm very hopeful and I'm very sure that we will prove many skeptics wrong. At one point, Ajak became so discouraged about seeking outside funding that he just stopped writing grant proposals. He found it too discouraging. But in recent months, he got some media coverage in The Guardian in the UK and The Christian Science Monitor. And that has helped lift spirits and attract a few investors. Most of the community cannot even read English. So what I do is, for instance, I translated the articles in the local language, and then we've read it loud in community meetings, and then we've pinned it on our community notice board. And so when the community see this, they know that, no, we are like on the world map, like people actually think that what we are doing is good and people are picking interest. Uh, so lately, whenever I go with guests and almost every weekend, somebody wants to come. Could be a friend of mine or a journalist or this weekend I'm going to go someone from who, who just flew in from Israel because they want to explore farming possibilities. This past weekend, I was with somebody from Japan who wants to work with us to grow sesame. So if I do not return to the village with, with a guest over the weekend, people are asking why. You know, why, don't, why haven't you brought us a visitor this time around? So there's a lot of 
a lot of enthusiasm uh, and a lot of hope. So what the Monitor and the Guardian has helped is to make people believe in the idea of Okere City and in that process, giving the people in Okere a very strong enthusiasm and hope that what we are doing is not a waste of time and that what we are doing will yield some fruit in the future. As he's worked with the villagers, and they've built everything from freshwater wells, solar electricity panels, and a community cinema and church, I asked Sajok what qualities he's seen in the villagers that have contributed to this progress. I think the Okere city is built on resilience, is our most important quality because this is a community that does not even deserve to exist based on the plethora of challenges that they've had to go through over decades. And they still have to contend with extreme weather conditions. I mean, the village still experiences over 90 days of no rain or of drought every year. But still, people are resilient. I also think that the other quality that the village has are collectiveness. So despite the highly capitalistic society in which we live, where individualism is the most important currency, as a community, we still try our best to do many things together, to live as a family. I think that uh, these two qualities really set us apart. Given all that he's accomplished, I asked Ajok, what advice do you have for those who want to be agents of change, people who want to bring hope to their communities, and what's needed to keep his project going? Yes, to be a change agent, you, you must be devoted. You must be very resilient, and you must be able to overcome the many challenges that come along the way. So you must have an idea which you must absolutely believe in. Because if you believe in this idea, you are going to be able to rally many people around the idea. When I started preaching the gospel of creating a city in the village, and for me, my concept of a city was a place where people come to, to have access to social and economic opportunities. Many people thought I was crazy. How do you think that you could create a city out of this? It's not possible. But then when you really believe in an idea and you work towards it and you embed it within your DNA, other people actually start believing in this idea. And of course, you have to be ethical. You have to have standards. You must be committed, and you must practice what you preach. And if our listeners are interested in supporting your work? We, we still need a lot of resources to construct classroom blocks. We need to construct medical facilities. We need to make sure that we have good solar installations in the village that can power even more activities than what we have at the moment. You need a lot of money to do this. 
And to support our work, you can go to our website, which is uh, www.okerecity.org. We also uh, have a volunteership program, so you could be a nurse, uh, you could be a teacher, and you might be interested to provide your professional services. Or you could be a student. For us, we want to create relationships. That is why, yes, you can donate to us, but we, we, we want to interact with you. We want to create a meaningful relationship with you because we believe that the most important things in the world are built around reasonable and realistic relationships. Ojok has accomplished a lot in his father's village in, in just a short amount of time. But what impressed me was the power of his humility and his willingness to listen. He put aside his master's degrees and outside experience and let the community brainstorm, steer, and execute. He filled the role of facilitator, recognizing their strengths and nurturing their dreams. So here's this week's challenge. Ask yourself, what would I do to help in the city or town or village where my parents or, or grandparents grew up? Do you know that town? What do they need? If you're not sure, you might check the website volunteermatch.org. It's all one word, volunteermatch. And the site may offer ways that you can help out in your ancestral city or town. Then, let me know how it goes. Call me at 617-450-2410 and leave me a voice message about what happened. That's 617-450-2410. Thanks for listening to People Making a Difference, a podcast about People who are step-by-step, step, making a better world. This podcast series was hosted and edited by me, Dave Scott. I'd like to thank Tim Malone, our audio engineer, as well as Alyssa Britton, Morgan Anderson, and Noel Flatt for their audio support. Clay Collins is the executive producer. Produced by the Christian Science Monitor. Copyright 2021.